one of the all-time favorite shows. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Tis some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember, it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought his ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow, from my book search a sorrow, sorrow for my lost Lenore. For the rare and radiant maiden, whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore. Welcome to episode, what episode are we on? I want to say we're on 10. I want to say we're on 10. Episode 10. Welcome to episode 10 of Because You're Home. Today we are talking about all things spooky from when we were younger. And when we were older, clutching onto our youth. Absolutely, 100%. I, I have gone back to those movies so much. That poem always reminds me of The Simpsons' Halloween yeah. Treehouse of Terror. Oh, there was a few, like, I when I was looking into this, I was like, what were my favourite Treehouse of Terror and um, Simpsons episodes? And I was like, there were so many. They did The Shinnin. The Shinnin was did, hilarious. Yeah, they did, like, their own version of um, A Nightmare on Elm Street. What do they call it? A Nightmare on Evergreen Terrace. So good. And, like, that one was actually a little bit spooky. Like, when you see, like, Willie, you know, he, he kills uh, Martin when Martin's asleep by, like, strangling him with his tongue and um and then when Bart like in the dream sequence when it's all green and all that sort of, like it is a bit freaky yeah they really don't hold back like I was watching um the old the kind of newer versions as well and yeah. like they really hack people up I was like yeah. oh wow I think a bit of blood on a cartoon I think it comes out a little bit differently with the rating and not rating you know like the the warning ratings for children I don't know why but like the Simpsons after you get out it's like three parts you know comedy and one part really like scary and gory but um I, I suppose thinking, as well the Simpsons isn't really a children's program not anymore anyway they've it's been trying more, to it's more a, a cartoon for adults or kind of, it's, it's something that will kind of go between. It, yeah, it, see, it started out like a proper family program where you'd have a few jokes for the adults and then it was primarily centered towards the kids. And then like when you had the advent of, like even when South Park came out, they didn't try to compete. They just still did their own thing. But when yeah. Family Guy came out, that's when they started to like go a bit, you know, kind of off the cuff. They were, they were hitting a bit of the kind of more scandalous topics of like religion and, and sexuality and yeah it's so, it kind of missed Simpsons were not meant for that so I have not seen pretty much any of the last few seasons oh I'm a bit of a I think I could sit down and watch any Simpsons episode and be happy with life oh. I haven't seen it in years because I only really watch stuff on streaming sites now but because I have Disney plus they have yeah. all the Simpsons on it, which is so handy. And One for some reason, my mum hated it. Really? Yeah, we could never watch it in the house. She just really, really hated it. Oh, 
Oh, no, we always had it on. Like we, we used to do it at six o'clock. They used to do a half hour of the Simpsons and it was brilliant. But I remember like when we got Sky and we could start watching all the newer ones. I remember there was an episode where like, I know we're getting completely off topic here, but when Lady Gaga came in, that episode was pure shite. <laughs> but going back to like the Simpsons trios of terror, like they were always to me the best. I used to get so excited for their intro, the names that they were yeah. going to be given to their own like staff, the writers. But like, I loved as well. You should, I don't know if you remember. They did. I know what you diddly idly did. Where it was like, I know what you did last summer when they kill Flanders, they run him over. Yes. Uh, I just love the title. Um, but the yeah, titles I mean, were brilliant. They really committed to the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then there was like the really good um, episode, The Devil and Homer Simpson, where he sells his soul for a donut and the <laughs> devil in Flanders. Which made so much sense then. You were like, yeah, this makes sense, actually. And then I love the very end of that episode where Homer's head got turned into a donut um, as kind of an ironic punishment. And Homer's eating himself. like, I'm so tasty. But he can't go out to work because all the cops are waiting outside the house with like their guns and coffee ready. I think every year you were really looking forward to the Simpsons Treehouse of Terror. It was just... They were special, like they really were. And as you said, they really committed to it the whole way. And there like almost wasn't a like a mainstream horror film they hadn't ripped off in a great way, in one way or another. Like they taken inspiration from. Oh Jesus, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know it was. They were brilliant. They were some of the best. Like that growing up for me, that's one of my my childhood horror things I just remember was always watching Treehouse of Terror like because I'm looking back at all the films and I'm like films for kids I'm like oh I kind of didn't see a few of these until I was older like I remember I watched I'm going to be talking about later on about Edward Scissorhands and I truly remember like watching that as a child because my dad says I couldn't pronounce his name and it was like N. Warren Scissor or whatever it was my dad would remember but I couldn't pronounce Edward as a child but I still loved that film that's so cute I know and like the rest of them yeah like kind of that and Hocus Pocus I do remember and then with some of the others I'm like ooh, because they came out in like you know the early 2000s I was like a teenager or that growing up so obviously there's ones where because I'm a big Tim Burton fan as I'm sure yeah. you are too so it was like all his spooky chilly films like a lot of them that still came out like Corpse Ride and that like I went to the cinema to go watch I wasn't watching them as a child but you know you still have an interest in them yeah if you're a Tim Burton fan you're going to be going to anything that he does anyway absolutely which brings me out to my deep dark shame uh, that um this is my favorite uh, story I yeah I'm so embarrassed saying this because I held on to this secret for so long until my now husband accidentally outed me but I had not seen a nightmare before Christmas at all until I was probably in my mid 20s uh, or early 20s possibly um and what outed my secret shame I I like it happened that I just never got around to seeing it because no one had it on tape. It never seemed to be on TV. But I wonder how you didn't, if myself and Grace and Shauna have, could probably recite it. Yeah, I don't know either. I must have missed any time it was playing. Yeah. And, uh, but basically, I got to a stage in my teenage years where we we're all like kind of going through goth and rocker phases. And everyone had like something that was Tim Burton-esque, like some like a bag or patch yeah. or whatever. And I knew the guts of it, but so I acted like as if 
I knew what the film was about and yeah, I had seen it. And it never really came up that much where people would ask, oh, what's your favorite part? What's this, what's that? Uh, or who's your favorite character? So I was just like, I can get away with this. So literally the first date I had with, um, with Chris, we went to go see Corpse Bride in the cinema. And of course it opens up on a song. And I'm not a fan of musicals. And I was like, what the fuck are they singing for? And Chris turns around to me and he was like, are you kidding? They're all musicals. And I was like, I knew that. And then he was kind of like, looked at me and I went, I haven't seen it Nightmare Before Christmas. And uh, he he just, he couldn't get over it. And then eventually like he, I think he had it on DVD. So we watched it and I bloody well fell in love with it. And um, yeah, but I still didn't tell anyone that I'd only now just seen it. I acted like as if. You literally told me this story last week. Like that's how like much you (laughs) kept this in. So 32 years of age. Now your deep, dark secret is out. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. But it was just like, I think with us, with what we were into as teenagers, I could, I just felt like if I'd gone on for so long that I couldn't even turn and go, oh, actually, I haven't seen it. Because, you know, how I was like a teenager. You feel like if everyone would like a record would scratch, everyone would stop talking and they turn and look at you and you're like, hey, could you have not seen it already? So, yeah, no, I, I get I lived, that. I lived that life for so long. I was a bit like that with all the music that everybody was listening to. I was like, I was never I was always too girly for the cool crowd. And I was always too alternative for the girly crowd. So I never really, I was always kind of in the middle, kind of going, yeah, I really like that song, but I also really like the Spice Girls. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, that happened at work when it came out that I had seen the Spice Girls when they came to Ireland, what was that, two years ago? Yeah. Or, or was it last? I don't know what times and years are anymore after 2020 can just go and take a hike. But anyway, I had said at work that I was at the Spice Girls and they're like, I never would have paid you for a Spice Girls fan. I'm like, eh, spice up your life. I was like, I was a child. It's like I was a young girl in the 90s. Yeah, of course. The womb in black lace and leather, like, come on. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how like an aesthetic really does kind of take over certain things. It's quite funny. Yeah, it's like I wasn't into like all that. You know, you have a childhood. So anyway, yeah, I was just thinking of how, how people, it's funny when they're like, never would have pegged you for that. I'm like, I'm allowed to have a various taste of music and films and everything like that. And speaking of having a childhood, though, <laughs> we will actually look at our alternative side of our childhood with the kind of spooky yeah. films that we would have loved when we were younger. So what was your favourite children's scary movie? Well, I'm going to go back and say it was for me, it was Edward Scissorhands um, because yeah. uh, the childhood films we may have seen, I might not have seen that young. And <laughs> um, yeah, like, I love uh, 1990s Johnny Depp. And this film was just like, I, I think this was probably the film that like I really fell in love with him. Uh, so also there's like there's Vincent Price in it and I love Vince like now obviously when I was older I watched Vincent Price films but I just love him in that film even though he's only in it for like a small second because he was quite ill um, when they were filming that but like Tim Burton asked Vincent Price will you please be in this film and he was like yeah sure and um, so like God love him he was in it I just they had to reduce his roles because he just really wasn't well 
but um and it's the music and oh, obviously the music is so beautiful yeah it's it's a score made by Danny Elfman and then Danny Elfman and Tim Burton are like peas in a pod for so many films they did uh Edward Scissorhands Nightmare Before Christmas um the one again with Johnny Depp the Headless Horseman well Sleepy Hollow um and uh, funnily enough Danny Elfman does the opening music for The Simpsons oh yeah so it's all it's all coming together but what I like to bet Edward it's all coming up Millhouse <laughs> everything's coming up Millhouse um but what I loved about Edward Cezanne's was like this stark contrast of the colors the suburbia town is like really garishly bright I, I love just the mixture of all the colors of the town but then up on this hill there's this bleak dark mansion um but it was but even though like it's, it all starts out with this Avon sales lady who I yeah. have to add, I thought Avon was a made up thing just for this film. And when my mom, when I was a teenager, was like, yeah, um, there's an Avon lady coming. Do you, and she has a booklet. Do you want to pick out anything to buy? And I was like, I'm sorry, Avon is a real thing. Yeah, Avon became such a big thing here then. Yeah, and I thought it was completely made up just because of the film. And I was like, oh my God. Did this film like spark a whole business? But no, no <laughs> for many a year. But anyway, so it's this lovely woman and she's an Avon saleswoman and she goes up to try and sell stuff. But there, out comes Johnny Depp with his like scissor hands looking really scary. But she's just so nice and she takes him back because he's all alone. And it's like Johnny Depp's character. He's just pure innocence. He was yeah. brought up with love and he's a creation. So he's not like human, but he's not like a robot either. Um, and sadly, obviously the whole premise is uh, Vincent Price's character, the inventor, dies of a heart attack before being able to give him hands. So he can't, he's never going to be finished. Um, but what I find when I was looking into the film, it's all about kind of being the outcast. Because uh, Tim Burton drew up the character of Edward Scissorhands kind of to portray how he felt he couldn't keep friendships when he was younger he always felt like the outsider um and so that's why he like drew a sketch of a character who he felt like someone who just couldn't fit in and it was Edward Scissorhands yeah so this film is a very personal film for him like they wanted to do sequels and everything like that and he's like no it, it would lose its purity if you try to like add on to it um, but what happens is when Edward comes into the suburbia town, he is like he's seen as the weirdo until the town. They kind of very exploitative in the film. Like they they want him. They see that he's great with his hands. Well, with the scissors so that he can do hedge work. And then the really creepy lady, Joyce, is like, yes. you should uh, cut our hair and open a salon and all this. Like they're all using it for their benefit. Um and then it's all going well until the town just completely turns against him because he's in love with Winona Ryder's character, Kim. Yeah. And uh, her boyfriend is such an a-hole. And it's like he was in, he was, one of the things about this film is that all, almost all of the main characters were playing against type. Like Kim's uh, boyfriend, Jim, I don't know if you remember, he was in 16 Candles and a few other things, but he played like a really nerdy character and now he's like a jock yeah. in this. And Winona Ryder had just done like Beetlejuice where she was a goth and then she's pretty with her blonde hair and everything's perfect. And Johnny Depp was trying desperately to break away from the teen heartthrob from 21 Drum Street. And so that's why he picked this. Like they didn't, or Tim Burton wasn't thinking of 
Johnny Depp in the first place, but he was like, let me do this. And Fox didn't want this to even happen because they didn't want to ruin Johnny Depp's image. But I feel like, yeah, if he never did this film, I do wonder what would have happened to Johnny Depp's like film career if he never tried to break away. He was desperate to break away. He kept trying to like end his contract on 21 Drum Street because he's like, this is going to be me forever. Yeah. You don't want to get that real typecast absolutely and like that's what studios don't care they're like oh but you're the pretty boy you're going to do well for this so it's like he just was like no I am going to go so against type and it was like it was a fabulous choice for him he even like watched Charlie Chaplin films to practice how to like make emotions on his face would because he doesn't really talk that much in the film um But anyway, obviously, as I said, the town turns against him. Joyce says that he had or kind of makes it look like as if he had raped her, even though she came onto him and he ran away. And then he falls into this is the scene that always makes me so cringy because it's all the peer pressure scene where Jim is like, I need you to break in. You know, you're great at picking locks. I need you to break in and get money. And then, of course, the alarm goes off. Everyone scatters. He gets arrested or Edward gets arrested. And um, but then like the town turns against him because he accidentally cuts Kim's hand whilst doing a nice sculpture and it all just starts to go against him. And like you can feel the foreboding of everyone turning against him because he's suddenly not doing anything that they want. Yeah. And um, it later climaxes to they turn into a mob against him. And he goes back up to his mansion and he's like, like they drove him away. It's almost kind of a little bit like um, Frankenstein, those original yeah. movies where it's like the mob. They All they were missing was pitchforks and torches. But Kim runs up to the mansion to see him first. Of course, then Jim follows and Jim's like trying to beat the crap out of Edward. And then he starts hitting uh, Kim and so then Edward like stabs him in the stomach and pushes him out a window so Kim's like well you'll never be able to come back to the town now you've killed someone so she like declares her love for him gives him a kiss it's their way of saying goodbye then she tells the town that Edward died you know Edward and Jim killed each other whilst fighting and uh, but yet yeah, she was the old lady at the start doing the narration yeah. And it was all about making the snow because he can't grow old. So he's still alive. He's still as the young person that he was in the film. And he's just making ice sculptures. And it's like, make snow for the town. Like, it's beautiful. And it's just like, it's it's a haunting ending because it's like, he goes back to being alone with no human contact. And yeah, it's, it's really sad. It's, yeah. really, it's, it's that kind of melancholy, Tim Burton-esque style. Yeah, it really is. It's it, And that, like, once you start to watch a few Tim Burton films, you just do feel like as if they're they're not always like, oh, it's an absolute 100% happy ending. There's usually something. It's it's almost bittersweet in some elements. And um, I honestly think perhaps the most real happy, happy ending is um, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Because even in, like, Corpse Bride, like, she's still dead. Half the people in that are all still dead. Although with Corpse Bride, if you look at it, the above world is all in like this real darkness. And yeah. the, the only time people are in colour is when they're actually dead and away from all their you could, yeah. you can look into that, like that. Like, this stuffy Victorian times of like the 1800s and the 1900s when that was 
based, you could say that maybe that was it. You know, no one was allowed to smile in a photo because they thought that it was um, too lower class. So you had to be just dour and everything. So maybe it's like when you die, you get to be finally free to be who you wanted always to be or something like that. Maybe that could be a, I might be reading into it too much. No, no, but sure, it is. It is that whole thing of like above ground is all dark and gloomy and below. Sure, it's the same with when the driver of the the horse-drawn cart, he dies. And when he comes yeah. down and Victor sees him for the first time, it's he's in colour. He's a total, he's like, there's red, there's, and he wasn't in colour. He looks when he was, more alive when he's dead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My favourite one... I have, like, I think there are kind of ones that you're always going to turn around and go, yeah, they're kind of the the creepy ones from when we were younger. So the likes of Adam's Family Values and um, you have Casper and um, they were the ones that you would go and watch when you were younger and they were there and it kind of had that spooky aesthetic. So the other ones I I wanted to be Wednesday, Adam, so bad. Oh my goodness. A hundred percent. Like there's still days that I remember going to work a while ago and I had my, I have a pair of black cons and they have the sugar skulls on them. And I had my, a pair of black skinny jeans and a little black top with a white collar. And Mm -hmm. my hair was in a plait to the side. And I was like, I kind of just look like I'm doing like, you know, the way people do Disney bound where they go dress up as something yeah. inspired by a, car- a Disney character yes. like I'm yeah, yeah. just going as like you know Wednesday Adams but in workwear um and I was okay with it absolutely yeah absolutely so my first one that I was looking at again um is it's not it, it's not meant to be a scary movie I don't think um but it definitely has a very scary and kind of like odd it was like it's scary and some very strange elements to it and um, I've mm-hmm. mentioned it before but it's returned to Oz um, yeah yeah so it's the second movie of um of Wizard of Oz and it is actually based on a book um so it's based on uh, the legend of Oz basically it starts with Dorothy Gale back on back on the farm and Dorothy is played by the girl who plays Nancy in in um the craft, the craft and the yeah. only reason why I'm saying that is because I don't want to butcher that poor girl's name because I definitely <laughs> can't pronounce it <laughs> but basically so she wakes up and Emma's there and um they're on the they're on the farm and she's speaking about Oz um Uncle Henry and Uncle are talking about how um how she keeps talking about this place that doesn't exist and she can't sleep and um they talk about that don't have that much money as an effect of the tornado that is um so the farm was affected so and um bring Dorothy to a hospital and it's actually essentially an asylum so when she arrives um they say that they're going to give her this new age treatment that will get rid of all the horrible memories and nasty dreams that she's having and they will let her go to sleep. And um, so It's called electroshock therapy. It's called electric shock therapy. You are right and correct. Ding, ding, oh, ding. Crap, I was guessing. Yeah, no, 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 no. There is electric shock therapy. So um, 
Aunt Em leaves her and she says, look, I'll be back tomorrow. You're just going to have a lovely evening here. And um, in fairness, it's obviously based in 1992. So they did think these things. And um, no, and it was almost normal for that sort of stuff to happen. They were like, exactly. no, this is your treatment. Oh, that's it. They genuinely believed that this would help. And, you know, obviously, it came you know, from a good place. Happened. We look at that with shock, but it came from a good place. Now, the thing is, the place that she goes to is a bit creepy and not nice anyway. So I don't think anything in that place is coming from a good place because. No, I mean, like with yeah. her aunt and her aunt and uncle. Oh, bringing her yeah. There, like, oh, both, 100%. Yeah. With every asylum. There is no nice asylum. There's yeah. just, and in America, that's what freaks me out. I know I'm getting kind of off topic here, but like you could, a family member could put you, like what they did, they, they, the aunt and uncle brought her down into the asylum. Like in America, a family member can have you committed. That terrifies the shit out of me. Yeah, it's all very scary. It got, <laughs> all that is my worst nightmare. Like, yeah, um, all kinds of asylums in America, because I don't think they're as bad. Over, well, I, I don't know. I truly don't know. But it's obviously like you see more about asylums in America. And um, they just still seem to me to be so you're never going to get out of here. Oh, ooh, no. Gives me the creeps. Yeah, it's actually a topic I don't know anything about. But I think it's more because I put my head under the water about it because it just scares me too much. But I did a fantastic um, again. I did a fantastic um uh, class on it in college and it was like the history of madness kind of thing and it was oh, more wow. like about in, yeah it was more like about in England where they had um it was Bethlehem Asylum which then became called Bedlam which is where you get the the name from yeah and um it was an amazing course I'd done in a part of my history degree it was just you know one of those like um classes you were taking and it was I never missed the class I went to everyone I thought it was fantastic that's so cool that's so interesting yeah if only all my classes were like that I had been like aced college <laughs> yeah. oh god you and me both um but poor Dorothy is one in one of these asylums and um she's brought down to um she's shown her room and there's this other young girl there and she's this very beautiful um almost like this real English rose blonde hair and she comes in and she gives Dorothy a pumpkin because it's nearly Halloween um and Dorothy is then brought down to the room where electric shock therapy is going to happen but all of the electricity goes and the young girl comes in and saves Dorothy so they run away they um they end up in a river and it's really, really horrible rapids and everything. But they, she, she essentially wakes up in um, Oz again. But so Oz is completely destroyed. It's, um, she wakes up with her chicken, Belina. So Toto isn't here this time. It's her chicken. That's a terrible side character. You don't oh, she's totally amazing. No, oh, she's, she, oh, oh, she's okay. fantastic. Um, so they find the yellow brick road. The yellow brick road is like torn to shreds. It's broken. And once they get to the Emerald City, there's no green light. There's nothing. Everyone has been turned to stone. There's loads of people missing heads. Like these beautiful dancers are all missing heads. Jeez, was this meant for children? Yeah. So this is a Disney movie. You can get this on Disney Plus at the moment. Um, The main um, body here, there's two of them. So you have the Gnome King formation um who takes form of this big massive 
rock king. And all the rocks in Oz are now spying and reporting back to the Gnome King. And there's also Mombi. Now, Mombi is possibly one of the most terrifying witches in anything. And instead of the flying monkeys, she has what's called the wheelers, which are men in these like really cool, almost like what you'd imagine like a raver to have for their wedding (laughs) suit because they have these tails on them, but they're like leather. It's real steampunk. They have these leather masks that actually kind of resemble the um, creature from uh, Jeepers Creepers. Oh, okay. They're on all fours. Oh. And instead of hands and feet, they have wheels. And they just That's go around. Terrifying. It, it's, like, it's so scary. And like spray painted on one of the walls is be, beware of the wheelers. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the warriors. Yeah. For some reason, the wheelers remind me of the warriors. You know that bit where they come out and they're <clears throat> not the warriors, sorry, the guys who are against the warriors. And yeah. they come out and they clink the bottles and they're like, warriors, come out come and play. The yeah. wheelers kind of sound like them. And when they they're take a gang. off. Yeah, they're this gang. They're like the group from Clockwork on Orange from yeah. the wheeler, from um, warriors. They're here to fuck shit up. It's so scary. And then when their mask comes off, the hair is all over the place. They look like they should be in like a Sex Pistols um, tribute band. <laughs> and then their makeup is like this real neon kind of David Bowie kind of thing going on, right? Oh. So they look class, but they're fucking terrifying. Like they're on all fours. <laughs> they're grown men. Oh. And um, they laugh. They're like kind of like... <laughs> And you're like, where is everything? And they're like, no, I can't do that. I can't do oh. And you're just like, oh, God. Um, so Dorothy gets into Mombi's castle. She speaks to Mombi and Mombi interrupts her and tells her just to hold on one moment to come with her. She wants to change. So they go into this huge hall. And in the hall are all these beautiful glass cupboards. And in every glass cupboard is a beautiful head. So Mombi changes her head. So she has no head of her own. And all these headless dancers are now all the heads that Mombi can can choose from. Oh, Again, all I can keep saying is that's terrifying. Everything about this is terrifying. It's terrifying. And then you have, so also um, the Gnome King, for whatever reason, his weakness is chickens. So when they're talking to the gnome oh, king, they're like, just to let you know, they have, and it reminds me of Donald Trump saying China. They're yeah. like, she has a chicken. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they, he's terrified of chickens. So you now know why Belina, the chicken, is there. And she's a sassy little chicken. She's so cool. Mombi decides that Dorothy Gale has a very unique face. Not beautiful, but she has some sort of prettiness. And I was like, that's so mean. Backhanded compliment. Yeah. But basically, she's going she's gonna to lock her away. And she's going to lock her away so she can take her head when she's old enough. The great thing is um, she gets away. Um, while they were in sorry, the Emerald City and they realised that everything was broken down before getting into Mombi's castle, they found one of the um, warriors of Oz and he's this, he's called TikTok. It's 
almost like if you blew up the proportions of BB-8. Yeah. Because he's got this little round body and this little round head and a tin hat. The king of the Emerald City is now the Scarecrow. After everything happens in Mombies, he's put into this um, dungeon and the, play- the person that's in there with her is Jack. And Jack is this very tall, very thin pumpkin head. So I had to have a look and see if this had any way inspired Jack the Pumpkin King for... um, For Tim Burton, yeah, for now before Christmas. Now, there are sites that say, yes, he did take inspiration from this. There are sites that say, no, he's slightly different. But essentially, it's this very long, gangly like creature with a pumpkin head so he is very like him and he's also Mm -hmm. called Jack so I'd like to think that yeah he did take a little bit of inspiration here if not it's actually I can see this as being a film that Tim Burton would like to watch it's bananas it's so crazy now the thing is Jack is actually quite annoying in it he's real like can I call you mommy and Dorothy Gale is just lovely and she's like yes of course you can to get out of Mombi's castle, um, Dorothy Gale goes to get her ruby key. And when she goes to get the key, all the heads wake up and start to scream. Oh, so God. Running in this huge corridor where all these heads are just screaming at her. And they're like, there's some really high pitched ones. There's ones that are really like, oh. So it's like this whole like symphony of screaming and wailing. And then Mombi wakes up and has no head. So it's this like figure running after her with no head. They create something that they can fly over to the gnomes mountain so that they can try and find the scarecrow because this is where he is. So they arrive to the kingdom. The gnome king has has changed every person into ornaments. They can get free if they can pick an ornament, say odds, and then the person comes to life. So each character has to go in. At this stage, um, Belinda is in Jack's head so that they don't know that there is actually a chicken and chicken there because, you know, he's scared of chicken. Uh-huh. So they go in and they all get it wrong bar um, Dorothy. So Dorothy, Dorothy then realizes the trick to it and she gets everybody back and that's fine. Um, but the, the Gnome King gets really angry because she's winning. And he like explodes like this big, huge fire and he's like screaming down at them. And actually thinking about it, there are parallels there between when Oogie Boogie kind of towers over them, uh, Santa Claus and Sally. So there there are like, you actually should watch it just to see if you take the same things from it. Okay. Um, And he goes up in flames and they get out and um, the Oz is, restored because they've gotten Scarecrow and um, it's it's just this lovely story but the one thing that was actually really nice during the whole thing like if anything went wrong or if like so Jack was supposed to do something and it didn't happen and he'll say sorry Dorothy always just comes back with it's okay it can't be helped and I was just like so lovely and I was like I need to start thinking about that myself like if something goes wrong it just goes wrong and like it's not that your intention was to do something awful it was actually it can't be helped and let's move on and move 
forward from here. You know, like it is what it is. Yeah, I was like, that's such a lovely message. And she was just so kind the whole way through it. So, um, but it's just, it's a, it, there's so many scary elements and bits to it, but it's, it's a really nice movie in the end of it. Yeah. yeah, so definitely one to watch if you haven't seen it. And you can definitely watch it as an adult um, is Return to Oz. I don't know if I want to watch it. It sounds terrifying. <laughs> Actually, I think I'm not surprised. That doesn't surprise me. It it's odd. It's like a real weird, trippy kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's very strange. I don't know if you've ever seen like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas or yeah, yeah, it's that kind of strange. The uh, just kind of taking from, as you were saying, the possible influence of Jack Skellington, I thought the next film that we could discuss that's kind of for children would be Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. Um, so it's an iconic film that I eventually saw as, I sadly did not get to see it as a child, but um, it's it's very iconic. Um, and I don't think you're a, a child or a teenager who's into like any sort of alternative scene without there being an influence of Nightmare for Christmas in like how you dress or like accessorizing or something like that. It's even when I hadn't seen it, I just knew I recognized it everywhere. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, you know, you know, that aesthetic straight off. Yeah. And it's like, I, I knew enough about it, but I didn't quite realise that he obviously, he's the pumpkin king. He's getting annoyed with the same old routine for Halloween. And then out in the woods, he comes across the all the trees of the different like holidays. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't know that. And so when I watched it, I'm like, oh, so this is how it happens. And then he goes into Christmas land and that's how he sees how everything's so bright and colourful. And I loved it when he was trying to describe that back to the people of Halloween Town. And they can't understand that everything's so bright and cheerful and lovey-dovey. And then that he's like, but, you, but the best thing is, the guy who controls it is a man called Sandy Claus. So it's yeah, not even like, there's an element of fear there as well. And I kind of think, any film that combines my two favorite holidays like oh yeah halloween and christmas is okay for me the only thing that was missing to make it like the best movie in the world was my birthday <laughs> that's a big holiday now it, it needs it, to be celebrated it truly is it truly is the celebration of my birth absolutely and um Disney wanted Tim Burton to they wanted the rights to be able to do like many sequels and he said dear god no again kind of like with Edward Scissorhands he was like you start doing sequels you ruin the purity like I don't think I could I think I'm right in saying this that I don't think Tim Burton apart from the Batman films has ever done a sequel no not that I can think of to be honest like I obviously understand Batman. There's so much that you can visit with that from the comics. But with like his standalone films, he's like, no, no way is there a sequel. You ruined the purity of them. Um, and like this took three years to make because um, the stop motion. Like and it took the dedication that those people must have for that. Like I, I just couldn't. I, yeah, I couldn't it took a hundred people to make it um, just for like the... Um, the characters and to get even one second of film it took 12 stop motion moves of that oh character God. just to get one second 
that's just dedication. <laughs> like the amount of time that it goes into like just editing this podcast. Could you imagine <laughs> <laughs> the time and effort that goes into that? I think I absolutely. Oh, Jesus Christ. No, I'd be like, no, no, it, it's never going to see the light of day. It doesn't matter. It's been lovely. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like he came up with this as an idea of it's kind of like what you see now. You know, the way you see like Halloween hasn't even happened, but there's already Christmas decorations everywhere. Yeah. So yeah. before it became as bad as it is now, Tim Burton would see in shops, you'd have all your Halloween displays and then it would be taken away and replaced with Christmas stuff. So he was like, he made a poem out, he was an animator in like the eighties and he made this poem in his head and it was about like goose and gulls being beside Santa and his like reindeer and all the snow and everything. And he was kind of like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if you put them together and so for him he started out with this like a, a small poem it was and on, the only characters in it was um Santa Jack and Zero and then obviously he worked on the idea of it like over the years and then came yeah. up with what we have today I such a lovely movie and it's just so pure and gorgeous and it really does stand the test of time like I can sit down and have my nieces and nephews watch that and everyone will enjoy it as much. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the songs are iconic in it. Like they are just, and they're so catchy. They're so brilliant. Like the minute you hear his music, like Danny Elfman's music, you're just like, it's stunning. Like all of it is such a masterpiece. It really is. Yeah. And I actually got to see it done with an orchestra and the original singers in Dublin last year. And that's when I realised Danny Elfman sings as Jack Skellington. Was it the most beautiful thing ever? It really was. Because like the applause when Catherine O'Hara came on the stage, it was bigger than for like anyone else. But it's and now that's the thing. Like it's, something like this really does kind of have a cult following almost. Jesus, um, yeah. Like, yeah, it is the type of thing like as well... I kind of think like if you're kind of you were this old teenager that loved this imagine then being slightly older now and being able to involve younger people into this again and you're sharing this experience and they're loving it as well it's like Mm -hmm. it's just something like (laughs) it's good old family fun it really like it was like you could see people had brought their kids and everything it really was it was great to see now it was actually quite expensive to get to it but in the end I'm like oh it was worth the ticket yeah yeah um and uh, I didn't realize this and here's the little uh little tidbit that Shauna will appreciate Marilyn Manson did a cover of this is Halloween yeah and didn't um like did like fallout boy or something Panic at the Disco, I think, also did another cover for like the. There you go. Uh, they re released a special of the soundtrack in 2006, I think, and Panic at the Disco does something else. So I was like, oh, and I listened to the Marilyn Manson one and it's brilliant. Really? Yeah, yeah, no, it's really good. Um, but it is, it's just such a, like the whole film, all the songs, like, and I have to say, like that Oogie Boogie guy did kind of freak me out a little bit to where even though like that, I was watching this as an adult, there is still a thing which is kind of still spooky. Like Tim Burton, it's never going to be a completely light film. There will, he will always try and get some kind of a scare out. Um, I loved that he was, he was quite like, 
almost something you'd find in New Orleans. And I'm like obsessed with that um kind of mm-hmm. New Orleans like real like, jazz, that kind yeah. of like and he was just so kind of music, cool, yeah. Like, soulful movement. Yeah, he was he was awesome. Oh, it was. Yeah, it, and I, I loved at the end, it was like Santa was just, when he gets rescued and all that, he's still like, he's he wasn't all, you know, obviously not going to be so happy and full of joy because he got kidnapped and almost killed. But he's still like a bit of a grump when he's leaving because he's like, I have to rescue this in one night, like in half the night after like Jack basically gets shot down by the army because the whole... Uh, the whole world is on high alert for this like madman coming out with like snakes for toys and that are eating the children. I love as well though there is still the magic where he's like Jack turns around and says will you still be able to do it and he's like of course I'm Santa and I'm like you are Santa. (laughs) Save the day. Amazing. Yeah, that was just, it was one of the, I wish I had been able to see it as a child. I just never got the opportunity and I don't know why, but yeah, I think that would have been fantastic to see as a child. Um, but sure, anyway, I still got to see it eventually and I've seen it loads since then. Like it's now like a, I'll watch it in Halloween and I'll watch it again at Christmas time. I don't care. It's so good. Oh, it's just amazing. It's such a lovely film. Yeah. And then like one of the next big animated things that, Tim Burton followed that up with was uh, 2005's Corpse Bride. Now, that was obviously done 12 years later, but I don't think it was done as well as um, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, we had a conversation about that and I I had said the same. I watched it before and I was kind of like, I just wanted to rewatch it before talking about it. Mm -hmm. And it was- The songs just aren't as catchy. If the songs aren't as catchy, it it irritated she irritated me so much for some reason the first time I watched it. And she didn't <laughs> irritate me as much this time. Um yeah. but <laughs> there was also a bit of me that's kind of like, what are you doing? Like he literally just went and married like by mistake, this course, right? Yes. But then he finds that yeah you've just been married off unbeknownst to like he doesn't know that you didn't want this at all and then it turns out that they can't get married and then Victoria just walks in and he's like oh um will we still get married and she's like yes of course and I'm like the guy's a dick yeah yeah it's is he is he's so rude towards the corpse right towards Emily because it's like she promised herself that she would wait for the guy who was meant to marry her who only wanted her for her money they were going to elope and then um she she got killed because she's like oh I was waiting for him next thing you know it all goes black now I'm in the land of the dead and obviously he's practicing uh Victor the main guy he's practicing his vows because he's it's like it's an arranged marriage um in Victorian England and because what was it her family are poor and his family are like a merchant family so they're rich and they're like so that's why it's a marriage of convenience and then like the rehearsal ceremony for the wedding he fluffs up everything he's like okay I'm gonna go practice I'm so nervous and uh, so he puts the ring he does all the vows puts the ring on what he thinks is a twig but it was obviously Emily's finger and then she drags him down into the land of the dead but he's like I don't want this I hate you get away from me I'm not married to you. And then at the same time, up in the land of the living, um, they find some new guy who's like, 
I'll marry your daughter. I'm rich, but he's not really, obviously. Um, uh, but like that, there's they get married in the short time that he's in the land yeah. of the dead. Yeah, but I suppose the whole thing is then it really was a marriage of kind of convenience. Um, and it was only for the sake of trying to get the money. But yeah. I must say, the people who play her parents in it, I love them. So it's Joanna yeah. Lund and, and Albert Finney. Albert Finney. Yeah. Like, the most amazing person. I love him so much. Daddy Warbucks. And then yeah. he's in Big Fish, which is one of my favourite Tim Burton uh-huh. movies. And one of my favourite movies of all time. Um, but They actually recorded a lot of their... Um, their voice parts together a lot of people like pretty much everybody did it by themselves but they just decided to do a lot of their recordings together in the same booth and it worked really well like you could imagine like their relationship was quite funny like when yeah. <laughs> when Victoria's like do you not like each other and they're like good god no <laughs> but that was it it was like you either did like them or you just got on but it was just like it was all just for your parents were doing it all just to help move things along or you always want this and you want that out of a relationship but it's not what you want it's what you, your parents want yeah and I know we had mentioned as well that you had the very dark and gloomy like coloring mm. up on the living um side of it and then underneath you have and what was actually quite a supportive, loving group of people who really yeah. were there to support each other. Um, and then you had all the colour as well that came into that world. So and it was it like was a big party in, down there. Yeah, in death, they kind of found the, the acceptance and the warmth that they, that they probably were craving in this like really dreary Victorian time absolutely and then like when the way that it ended it was like I I didn't you know whatever I know that she gets released because the guy who had married Victoria was the guy who had killed Emily for the money and so he's like well tough I'm married to this woman now obviously not even realizing that Victoria's family are broke Um, yeah but so it was what was a Victor was going to when he finds out that uh, his bride to be is now married. He's like, I'll kill myself and we can be married together properly. And so she's Victoria stops him. And she's like, don't drink it. And then, of the course, then the husband comes in. Was he Lord Barkus and um, done very well, I have to say, by Richard E. Grant. Yeah. Um, and then he does like a mock toast to the soon to be dead couple, but drinks the poison and then he dies. So it's great that he gets to be dragged down to hell for killing Emily. And then she just gets released into a load of like blue butterflies and then just floats away with Corpse Bride. I'm just kind of a little bit like, oh, just just wasn't when you put I know it's unfair to do. But if you are end up going to compare the two, there is there's just no comparison. Corpse Bride just doesn't even come close to Nightmare Before Christmas. No, I don't think so. But I wonder as well, it's at our age. So I wonder if somebody at that stage, at, at the age that we were when we saw <laughs> yeah, I can say technically not I saw early. Corpse Bride and I saw Corpse Bride before Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, yeah, that's that's quite true actually. Because I was going to say it might yeah. not be, but but I wouldn't have nostalgia. Yeah, age that it was intended for, if you get me, because you still had that nostalgia yeah. that kind of was linked to Nightmare Before Christmas, even though you hadn't seen it. 
Yeah. Um, and yeah. I was looking up any interesting facts to do a corpse bride. And uh, one of the things that really stood out for me was with the stop motion you had in um, A Nightmare Before Christmas, they didn't, they decided to do a little bit different in Corpse Bride where they had, um, I think, you know, like the Wallace and Gromit characters in Ardman yeah. Studios, they had like, they changed the mouths. In A Nightmare Before Christmas, they'd have interchangeable heads. But what oh. they did on Corpse Bride was they had um, clockwork changing heads. So say if you tick it, the, the head would swivel around and a new expression would come on. But that took actually longer than stop motion and longer than just swapping the head out or swapping the mouth. And uh, what was it? One of the artists would have nightmares of his own face just changing like clockwork direction and changing expressions because it took them so long to do this. I wonder and it, how it many have like severe carpal tunnel. Yeah, it was in no way any quicker for them. It wasn't easier. I don't know what, who got it in their head going, this is the way we're going to um, change the facial expressions of the um, figures. But by God, they hated it. Yeah, yeah, no, that doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound fun. No, so that's Corpse Bride then. <laughs> that's that. So my next one is a film that I would have seen kind of more my teenage years as opposed to when I was younger so it's Spirited Away Studio Ghibli mm-hmm. um yeah. these films I just adore them I've um, gotten to see so much more Studio Ghibli now because they released a load of the month in Netflix like I think it was either earlier on this year or late last year and I've seen like I'd already seen Spirited Away but I got to see so many more oh and they're just magic they and really amazing. are um they are so aesthetically just stunning the music mm-hmm. is absolutely beautiful I would love to say that um I was I was cool enough to be talking about the ones that aren't dubbed but I'm very much talking about the dubbed versions um I uh, yeah I'm gonna be right beside you there I've only yeah. ever seen the dubbed versions yeah yeah, and I'm sure they're absolutely stunning. Um, they're just as stunning, if not more, um, mm. with the original cast. But um, unfortunately, my only thing with that is if you're reading the subtitles because there's so much going on on screen, I'd be worried you'd miss something. Yeah, you see, that's it. That's what I was going to say. My dyslexic brain just won't let me. <laughs> and oh, also, I actually, yeah. like. I like to pretend my dyslexia is stopping me from reading, but I also just am very, very lazy. Um, <laughs> so Spirited Away was released in, its original release was 2001, but it was actually released in Ireland in 2003. So its original okay. release, I would have been 13 and in Ireland, 16. Um, so it's a movie that follows Shihiro. Um, she's a 10-year-old girl. They're moving from their old home to a new home and on the way they stop for food herself and her parents and they stop there is um they go through this um kind of like a park they can smell some food so they go over it looks like this abandoned theme park and she grows very worried she really doesn't want to go in with her parents her parents are like it's totally fine and I think I kind of identified a bit with her like I would so nervous when I was younger and I'd be like we can't do this we can't do that 
And I can actually hear my sister laughing right now saying you were nervous when you were younger. I'm a nervous wreck. (laughs) You know, I'm still quite nervous. But when I was younger, I would have been incredibly anxious and nervous about doing anything that was wrong and just being like, we'll get caught doing this. There are many things I did do and didn't get caught for, but still. (laughs) (laughs) They end up going and finding... um, this street food and um the dad and the mom sit down and they start eating the food and they say that it's absolutely fine they'll pay once somebody comes but they eat themselves they eat so much that they actually turn into pigs and it turns out that they are in a resort for the supernatural so the road that is there to um to connect the resort to where they've come in is now taken over by water and Shihiro can't get out. She ends up having to work for the witch of Baba to, to earn her right to get out or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Baba, who has this giant baby, which is yeah. kind of scary in itself. It's just Oh, weird. yeah, that was really unsettling. That's it. There's actually a sense of quite unsettling things in this <laughs> Right, and you have um the witch who is quite coarse and mean and then when the baby comes in she's like oh my little baby and it's this like giant sumo baby it's huge um yeah but the witchy baba will take your name and um Shihiro is told to just make sure she remembers her name because once her name is gone she she's gone essentially so Haku tells her this um, but it's just such a beautiful movie. Um, there's also one spirit that comes that's a bad spirit called No Face. Mm. And he's quite unsettling himself. At one stage, he eats so much food. And then I, again, was like, I can relate to this person. <laughs> face person. He's just gobbling food. Um, but aesthetically, it's just absolutely stunning. Um, but there is that really weird sense of kind of unsettling. It's like you just feel odd and off and that something is going to happen the whole way through the movie. Um, and there are scary moments where there is spirits and the witch is just awful. Um, but of course, it all ends with a happy ending where she remembers her name and she she does get out and so do her parents but it's just one of the most visually stunning movies ever and the music is absolutely beautiful yeah. as well and and like it's a good long story in it because like none of the those films are like in any way short no no it, like that's what i mean you get to sit back relax and just watch it all um unfold in front of you it's, it's they're just they're so stunning I think that might have been, it was either Spirited Away or My Neighbor Totoro. That was, one of those was my very first Studio Ghibli film to watch. And they were just like started an obsession with mine. It was, I love watching them all. Yeah, I think that kind of took on, that continued. So I had my obsession with Tim Burton. And then this was what I was looking for when there was no Tim Burton again after the, the Corpse Bride, it was then you were waiting for Willy Wonka and Alice in Wonderland and I kind of feel the better. I don't know, you just 
talk the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, the less said about both those movies, the better. Um, yeah, was not a fan. No, it's kind of like, oh, see, he should never have. It's almost like as if someone came to him and said, why don't you put your own spin on these films? Yeah. And I, I honestly think he should be left to his own devices Unless I could be so wrong, he could have said, I'm going to make my own version of these films, but it just didn't work. It only works, I think, when he has his most organic ideas ever. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's people that are so diehard that they absolutely love them. But yeah, no, they just weren't for me. It's not that I'm not a fan of his work. I'm enough of a fan to go, oh, that wasn't his uh, best move. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I'm such a fan of his. And I absolutely, like, adore it. I remember, um, like, his book, The Melancholy Death of the Oyster Boy. I just, mm-hmm. that book just has such, a, also, the, the minimal amount of reading in it. Love that. <laughs> Kudos for that, Jim. Um, but I remember it was Kerry's birthday one year and just being a very poor teenager or poor adult, early adult. Um, I painted her um, scenes from that book. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, and she actually, she has a, a tattoo from that book as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, really stunning. Yeah, so my my Studio Ghibli definitely, definitely kind of filled, filled a void. For it did, my- and... It's like it's one of those ones where it's for children and it can be enjoyed by adults. It's not just typecast into this is just for children. No, absolutely. And actually, it's funny. I tried to sit because I just checked the rating on it just to make sure because it is PG. And I tried to get my nieces to sit down and watch them, but they're just not their thing yet at all. I actually do think they are for a more kind of mature audience. And it's really weird, actually. When I was growing up, I had this favorite tape, like a video, and yeah. it was Little Women. But it was Little Women, and all of the cartoons were anime. The whole thing was this anime animation for Little yeah. Women. Yeah. And I used to watch it on repeat. The next movie I was going to mention, and this is me just being an absolute child because this came out in 2015 so I can't say in any way that this was a childhood movie there's a tie-in if you think about it it's it's a film but we watched the tv show version of it I, if I think it's, yeah it's, oh no it's pure nostalgia and as well I am a big child so <laughs> any excuse really um but it was the goosebumps with Jack Black and I remember watching this either on the way or on the way back from New York um, on a mm. flight, which was very exciting. Um, but you have Jack Black and you have Dylan Minette, who is going to be in the new screen, which is very exciting. And mm-hmm. you have Gillian Bell as well, who's a brilliant comedian. She's so funny. Um, but it's a great story. It's um, Dylan Manette and his mother move in to this new town. His father's passed recently. Um, Gillian Bell is the auntie. She's this real comic relief. And they move in next door to Jack Black and his daughter. And Jack Black is very insistent that he 
never comes over and leaves them alone, has this very strange kind of almost British accent, you must stay on your side of the fence kind of thing. And um, the girl become friends and um, the, the father is very angry about this and it, Dylan hears screaming and goes over and it turns out that he, in fact, the father is actually Oral Stein the writer of Goosebumps and that when you open any of his books that the the characters actually come to life so the whole story is trying to get all the uh, characters back into the book but it's a great idol film it's on Netflix it's a bit of fun so if you're looking for something on Halloween yeah I watch yeah, because I wasn't a hundred. I wasn't a hundred percent sure if I wanted to watch it, um, because sometimes Jack Black is just a bit too much for me. I love him as a side character, but when he's like the main character, sometimes I found in the films it was a bit just too much to to handle. No, I totally got that actually, but actually he's grand because the kids are really the main actors. Okay, um, okay, and he's he's in it. He's a little bit over the top, but. You're kind of like, that's the character, so it's not too bad. And as well, there is a cameo from Oriel Stein himself. Oh, brilliant. Which is a little bit kind of a nod to, well, I don't know if it's a nod, but it just happens to be in the corridor of the school where I'm kind of like, which is the same as Wes Craven in Scream. Yes, when he was the janitor. Yeah. So yeah, that was my, my next little one if anyone was looking for a more recent Halloween one just to get in touch with your childhood again because like we all watched it on TV we all for Christmas which was always random presents got a goosebump set of books like yeah um like they were they were great and they were all like like that a bit chilly a bit spooky um and they were great ways to like t- like you had that you had are you afraid of the dark these are great things to test to see were you did you like this genre yeah you know were you interested in them when we were watching it Warren was like do you remember the ones where you could choose your own ending I love those books they were so cool yeah because there's just endless amounts of like well you could go back to a point and then you could try the other side so you could like reread the book but read it completely different a few times over yeah oh it was such a good idea it was so cool and so I suppose then one of the main ones of both of our childhoods, um, kind of one of the last films I think we're we're going to be talking in detail, be Hocus Pocus from 1993. Yes. So Hocus we just recently Pocus. watched this in your house a few nights ago as well, just to kind of bring it back into we're, mind. Where the lockdown got more and we couldn't go to anyone's house. Got luckier lockdown. But uh, yeah, it was it's 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 a great film. There's parts of it like that I had completely forgotten about. It's such a brilliant film. It's just it's it's that it's childhood. It's our childhood. Yeah. Like Bette Midler when she was filming this, or she had said in an interview much like years later that to this day it's still her favorite film that she ever made. Oh, that's so great because like it's just brilliant, and I love her. Yeah. And she really, like, she stole the film. She was amazing. Oh, she is Hocus Pocus. Like, 
I know when we were all younger, we definitely wanted to be Sarah Jessica Parker, but yeah. now I am Winifred all yeah. over. All the way. It's uh, yeah, because it's like she is the smartest. She is the most quick witted. Uh, and you can just see she's carrying her two sisters. Yeah. And I, I would say at the moment, I'd probably be Mary because she's, <laughs> she's a little bit silly. We're all a bit of a Mary from time to time. We're all a bit of a Mary. I like her. Yeah. She's quite funny. I have to say, though, one thing that's never changed for me is I still don't like Max's character. I have never liked him in the film at all. I I don't know. I think when I was younger, and actually I was asking you this as well, and it's funny, because I was like, what is the, what is the, um, the cast character's name? And we were like, you were oh, like, yeah. oh, it's Bing. Zachary or Zachary. something. And I was like, yeah, it's, that, it's actually Zachary, like T-H. And I was like, I always yeah. thought it was Zachary Binks and everything. And then when we watched it this time, I was like, oh, no, clearly they're saying Zachary. Like, it's clearly a T-H. And I was like, no. Oh. Someone just bit their tongue and they can't say Zachary. So I was like, Zachary. Yeah. I was like, I feel like a fool now. But, yeah. um, you know, I'd say I had a bit of a crush on Max when I was younger. But I always loved um, Zachary Binks. And, and Zachary's friend as well. Yeah. At the yeah. start. Yeah, yeah. Because that was actually a great part at the start. Like, when they're trying to get the sister back, that was really, like, a creepy, spooky thing where you get to see they take her life essence and they get yeah. young. And which Bette Midler was like, well, younger. I love that part. You know, like, they're not back to... They have the potential. And you're just seeing, like, because obviously Salem Witch Trials it was all just basically you're killing innocent people. You know, it was all superstitions, you know, historically. But with this, it's like, no, 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 no. We were really witches. We were stealing your children. We were taking their life essence. We had managed to get this potion there. We can live forever and always get younger again. Um, and uh, so obviously what was this? It's Thackeray's sister, Emily. She yeah. gets the, the Sarah Jessica Parker's character can sing a song that will it's like Pied Piper, it will lead the children away. Yeah. And so he obviously he thwarts, well, he tries to thwart their chances, but obviously fails. Um they kill his sister, they take her life essence, but um he gets turned into a cat in the scuffle of it all. And uh, but they get caught and they all get hung, they get executed as witches. Yeah, and then they sing the song, which is the curse to bring them back. Yeah. Which is yeah, it's like they're so off. confident. Yeah, they're so confident in their skills. They're like, we're not even afraid to die because we're going to come back eventually. Yeah. That just happens to be in the film 300 years later. I love as well how it depicts Halloween in, like, in America. I always thought that would be so cool. Like, I didn't even care that it was, they were in school I was always like oh my god it'd be so cool to be in school and the teacher is so into it and tells yeah. the story and you're like oh my god this is amazing and like Alison is just the coolest girl in the world and her outfit when she's walking home that cardigan that me want <laughs> yeah no it is it's, it is just such a really great film in the sense it's like they're making it look like the whole town of Salem they're like yeah okay everyone knows us for the witches but so what we're so into it we're so passionate about our town 
and they're not like looking at it of oh god don't remind me about this i hate thinking about all the people who were killed we're like no witches are cool they're you know they are just going all into it but in the the nice family style like the friendly not friendly i suppose but kind of Obviously not the doom. <laughs> remember that doom? time all those innocent women were hung, drawn, and quartered? <laughs> laugh. <laughs> but like, obviously, they're like, no, witches are real. And so that like in, in the film, they're all like, no, 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 no. You're an outsider if you don't think that this all really happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I loved the family dynamic they had. So the mom and dad were really cool. They were so cool. Yeah, because I find in a lot of kids' films, the parents barely, they don't really have characters. They barely get two words in or they're like really stern characters. Yeah, but these were just these really cool parents who kind of just wanted to still party. And I can relate to that. Oh, yeah. If I was a parent, I'd be like, no, don't take that part of my life away. I want a party. Yeah. The only thing that I found that this film gave in terms of unrealistic kind of views and expectations on life was to feel that if by any any reason you were still a virgin at 16 you were terribly and deathly uncool because the, (laughs) the black flame candle had to be lit by a virgin and poor Max, the whole way through, they're like, you're a virgin? And you're like... Yeah, it's <laughs> hanging around him like a cloud of shame. Yeah, I always kind of thought, clearly, you need to lose that before you're Max's age, because heaven forbid, that's the most embarrassing thing in the entire world. It really is. They all keep saying it with such a confused look on their face, like, you're still a virgin? Like, it's always said, like, as an incredulous questioning, like, how could you still be? And I'm like, eh, because we're still just just grown out of childhood. And in fairness, when I was younger, I don't even think what I knew what the whole concept, what the whole thing was. Like, really. No, that that one well get went over my head. But we were saying that there was a few things in that film that kind of went over our head. Yeah. Like the, the scene where uh, the witches get on the bus and oh, yeah. uh, the bus driver... The bus driver was like, what can I, you know, what can I get you, or what can I do for you? She's like, we want children. And he was like, it might take me a couple of girls. I don't think that there's going to be a problem. I only got that when we watched it the last day. Yeah. And I was like, holy crap. You know, like, obviously, they, the writers will probably throw in some jokes just, you know, to help the parents along when they're at the film. But um, yeah, she even what was it my husband was saying? He was like, oh, I obviously really like the film because Sarah Jessica Parker was in it uh, and how she looked in it. Uh, she, you know, blonde, the corset had moved yeah. like her chest up real high. Um, she was the the babe of the film. She was um, oh yeah. Um, I don't think she's I, I don't think in my eyes she looked as attractive as she did in that film. I don't know what it is. I just never thought that she was even in Sex in the City, I just didn't think maybe it's like I like the goth look that much that I like that version of her. Yeah, that's it though. It's, it's, it's an aesthetic. Yeah. Did you know that the cat that was Binks was the same cat that they used in Sabrina the Teenage Witch? No way. Yeah. It was, um, and they had used an animatronic cat. And um, well, for the majority of it, obviously the, the speaking parts and all that. And they were like, because Sabrina the Teenage Witch wouldn't have been done too much later after that. Oh, wow. That's so cool. 
I thought that was quite interesting, yeah. Um, It it is. And the songs, when they do that, I put a spell on you. I thought that that was... Iconic. Yeah, and they hadn't planned to do it um, as a whole bit piece. It kind of got written in halfway through the film. It was never going to be a big piece. It kind of just organically happened. And so they then obviously had the part where they're going to sing all the adults so that they stay and dance till they you know, die basically or whatever. I kind um, of think if you have that Midler in a movie and you have a chance to have a big musical number, do it. And then of course, sorry, so Mary, the, the actress who played her, she was in Sister Act as well. Yes. Yeah, I keep forgetting that. Yeah, it, um, was, it was brilliant. Yeah. Did you know that Sarah Jessica Parker in real life, you know the way that there, as a lot of celebrities would do the Who Do You Think You Are TV show? Yeah. So they did one for her and they actually discovered that she had like a a 10th great grandmother, like way far back in her lineage, who was accused of being a witch in the Salem Witch Trials. Oh my God, um, wow. Yeah. So her grandmother's name was Esther Elwell. And in the late 1600s, she was accused of um, choking a neighbor to death and of generalized witchcraft. Now, the case never went to court. And so she never got obviously tried or executed. And it kind of was one of the last few ever of the Salem Witch Trials. Wow. Yeah. And she didn't know that beforehand. She didn't know that when she did Hocus Pocus. Like she would have only found that. I think that TV show would have been done like, say, 10 years or less than 10 years ago. Um, That's amazing, though, isn't it? I just yeah and there was something else what was that I read up on it and now I'm trying to remember this scene because like I said we only watched it a few days ago do you know when they think that they've got the witches burned in the for some reason when you have an incinerator that's what I was trying to get yeah so when they burned them in the incinerator and Danny and Alison are dancing around a fountain or at least a fountain that's in the background that was the fountain that they used in the opener for Friends because Friends was starting to be filmed the next year amazing well, I was just like, shut up. Now I'm going to have to rewatch that scene and be like, okay, you have two kids dancing around after they've just, they thought they burned some witches to death. And then I was like, let's get Matt LeBlanc and Courtney Cox and everyone in. I love when they come out and they're speaking the French. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's just such a funny and well done movie. Again, you'd have no problem watching that now with kids. Yeah. And like it's still got that like kind of scary element because end of the day, they're trying to feed off the life essence of children. Of course. And then you have Billy as well, who comes out and you think he's going to try and kill everybody. Yeah. And in the scene when he finally opens his mouth and moths come out, they were real moths. He had, yeah, he had them in his mouth and he had a little um, like a pocket at the back of his mouth so they wouldn't go down his throat. But when they cut that open, it was real moths. Yeah, moths are my, like, worst fear. Moths and butterflies, they're disgusting. Oh, yeah. But, like, that being in your mouth, it's like when Tony Todd did Candyman and he had all the real-life bees going in his mouth for that scene. Uh, but he did, Tony Todd did an amazing thing where he had um, it written into his contract where he would get $1,000 for every time he got a bee sting. And I think he ended up coming out with like over between 10 to 20 grand's worth. Wow. Because he got stung that much. But he got a grand for every time. So obviously takes the sting out of it. 
another kind of witchy one that um, I always remember from my childhood, but you were saying you actually hadn't seen, and I don't think you'd really heard of it either, was another Disney movie, Halloween Town. No, I like I still have not a clue, never heard of it. And I had a list of all the films we were going to be discussing. My yeah. husband saw it, he's like, What's Halloween Town? I'm like, Your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, so Halloween Town is this real kind of cookie cutter um, Disney movie, um, real Disney kind of <laughs> hallmark kind of movie. If you get me, um, oh, but- yeah, yeah. There's this single mom, she's raising three kids and their grandma only comes over once a year. And of course it's for Halloween. And their grandmother is played by Debbie Reynolds. So pretty cool. Um, But essentially it's this thing where the granny actually lives in a place called Halloween Town, which is almost like an other realm. And she can only come for a certain amount of hours during the Halloween. Okay. So the kids figure this out. She leaves. She has an argument with the mother because the mother doesn't want anything to do with Halloween time. She's moved. She doesn't want anything to do with witchcraft. She's left that life behind her. Um, and the eldest of the um, family follows the grandmother home. She ends up in Halloween time as well. And then the whole movie ensues where they have to save Halloween Town. But it's again, it's just this really fun Halloween movie. Uh, Debbie Reynolds, so not much else has to be said. Except yeah. give it a watch. Really, um, yeah, just really fun. And there's four of them. There's lots and lots. And yeah, lots. that's what we saw when we were looking at it on Disney Plus. That there's just there's so many versions of oh, it. Oh, it goes on and on. And um, I watched it with um, I watched it with my nieces so um, I showed and I thankfully you know the way you always have like this movie that somebody showed you that was terribly inappropriate that you shouldn't have seen when you were that age so mm-hmm. I decided that I'd show my nieces Twilight and there are some scenes that yeah you should definitely fast forward through and yeah. I left the room during some of those scenes and um, they saw them so one of them is convinced that she's a vampire and um, just can't wait to get her fangs and her first blood and all this stuff. So she's convinced. So um, I had kind of promised. Why do I think though that that's still just so cute? Oh, it's so cute. No, it's adorable. So cute that um, she wants to bite someone and drink their blood. I think it's just a rite of passage, really. I'm actually proud that I know that she's going to grow up to be somewhat like me. Um, oh, yeah. And as well, her mum went through a phase as well where she thought she was a vampire. So look, it goes with the territory. We all did. <clears throat> I'm sure we all did. Um, so I, t- I told her mum and dad, uh, I told her mum and dad, my sister and my brother-in-law, that I'd be a lot better with choosing the movies. And they were over with me, um, obviously a couple of months ago at this stage. And um, we had been watching Halloween 10. And we watched, I think we watched all four. And their dad, Colin, was on the phone. <laughs> and Lexi turned around and was like, we watched a movie called Halloween. And I was like, no, 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 we didn't watch Halloween. No, we watched <laughs> Halloween Town. 
Halloween 10, Halloween 10. I was like, I did not show the Michael Myers. I'm not that bad, I promise. And then you have Willy Wonka, the tunnel. Oh, oh no, that's the, oh. It's like there's a part where a centipede crawls over someone. I don't know whether it crawls over like their face or something, but I'm just like, Bleh. It's no. so strange. It's so strange. And they say in the video, they're like, you just expect him to kill everybody. And I'm like, yeah, you do. Because it's, it's like, it's, uh, it's not befitting the whole film. Like, I know, obviously, like Augustus Gloop, you don't know if he's like drowning or dying in the chocolate. Like, they're, the kids are disappearing and like scary stuff is happening to them or, or like unsettling things. Um, but it still all has this lovely polished look, has this cheery yeah. look. And then he takes them on this raft and you're like, no, it, it like... It's Gene Wilder. It's like he's still singing, and and all this is happening but it's in the really background. Weird. It's like he's like you don't know which way we're going, and it's like, Ugh. like I know which way I'm going backwards. <laughs> Fucked if I'm going the way you're going, Gene. Yeah. No way. No, it's just no, not happening. No. I'll walk. <laughs> you can leave me here. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. This is my stuff. And as well, actually, one that I haven't mentioned, which is really stupid, and probably people, my sister is going to kill me, the labyrinth. Yes. Many oh, scary yeah. moments in the labyrinth, but many absolutely beautiful moments as well. And uh, David Bowie's face and David Bowie's crotch. Yeah, a lot of crotch swing in there. Huge amount of crotch. But like, I mean, we could we could keep going on and we could add so many films onto the list and just non-stop, keep, you know, it's talking about it. It's generally our problem. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but uh, like, it's it, there are there's so many. Like, we could have gone into detail about the Adams Family, but we were just kind of sticking to other ones that kind of, you know, maybe, well, no, not that they're not so mentioned. I suppose we were just picking it out like that. If we had gone on to, I could have mentioned so many other myself, but we would have been here forever. So we're trying to keep it as relatively short as we can. Yeah. And with that, I actually think we're done. So be sure to listen as well this coming Thursday for another Trick or Treat episode. I'm loving the Trick or Treat one. Yeah, they're a great idea. There's a nice just little like side little note of getting people in and getting other people's perspective on what they do for Halloween or what Halloween or what spooky things are for them. And then for next week, for our next main episode, we are looking at all the Halloween movies. Yeah, the whole franchise. <laughs> and don't worry, we're, we're not going to go, in, they're not going to be done in such deep detail because I know if you're a fan of horror, chances are, like, I'm not a slasher person, but I have seen, like, I have a lot of catching up to, but I have seen the majority of all these films. Yeah. Um, and if a few we were missed out about like, them in detail, we'd actually be here until next Halloween. Jesus, yeah. I'll get you through the lockdown, though, lads. <laughs> and also follow us on Instagram on Because You're Home with an underscore in between every word. And we will talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Bye. Oh, Eva. I'm, I'm actually not even sorry. Never apologize. Never. Oh, God.